Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. Welcome back to Colorful Clipboard. And Carrie and I are here today to kind of talk about uh, a definite current issue. It wasn't one of our planned episodes. So this is just kind of a, a an off-the-cuff conversation. Based on a phone call that Kate got <laughs> um, from someone she had volunteered with. So this is not something that we came up with out of, you know, thin air. It's a, an issue that parents are concerned about um, and people who work with children are concerned about, not directly necessarily related to your child care center. Would you say that it's accurate, Kate? I would say that's 100% accurate, Carrie. So when we start thinking about everything that has happened um, in the last seven months, we are in the middle of COVID. So if you listen to this after October of 2020, there's a strong possibility that things are a little different. But what the concern is, is the term POD, P-O-D, and how everybody seems to be popping up these pods willy-nilly in their houses. Um, now, granted, they have a great purpose, and I understand 100% why people are doing this. For those of you who don't know, I've homeschooled now for 18 years. Carrie homeschooled for 12, 13, 12, okay? And so this is not a new topic to us, and most of you have figured out by listening to us for 35 episodes to date that we also have a background in child care, school-age care, running summer camps, uh, and the business side of things. So... Before we get too far into that, let's define the learning pod because just because we feel really like it's ubiquitous, that may be because we come from the homeschooling background um, and maybe not all childcare providers are familiar with this term. So let's talk about the learning pod. So the learning pod is a hybrid (laughs) between... um, having your friends babysit your kids (laughs) and a small private school or co-op. So every state has different rules on how um, supplementary education for homeschoolers happens. So if you're a homeschooler, there may be things that you as a parent don't feel comfortable teaching your child. Um, And so you supplement that with an outside trainer. And that can be another mom or dad, or it can be somebody you hire. And that is typically called a (laughs) co-op. And... Those and those are and those are usually one at the most two days a week. Right. And your child doesn't always go to it all day. So um, co-ops they may spend all day, but then outside teachers that you've hired they may go to once or twice a week, but probably not necessarily for the whole day. Right. Does that sound okay? Yeah. It's it's just there to give the kids a little bit of socialization time. And also to teach the subjects that the homeschooling parent is unqualified or uncomfortable teaching. So it could be English, it could be science, it could be art. Um, I've had, uh, I've had my kids in co-ops where uh, they did PE, (laughs) Um, anything that involved dissecting things was done at a (laughs) co-op. So, so yeah, so as you can tell, there are all different reasons and focuses on a co-op, but today 
one of the things that I wanted to bring up related to learning pods also does affect folks who listen to our podcast. So we have a fair number of after school programs who have started to add this learning pod. And these after school programs are currently licensed um, as after school programs with uh, the state, but yet they're seeing their after school competitors opening these learning pods and they aren't being licensed. And so the question is, why not? Should they be? And so this podcast is also a little different because it's really as much for our parents who um, we know in the homeschool community or maybe parents who are out there struggling because they're trying to balance a, a work day and a school day with their child home virtually. So um, so again, that learning pod could be taking place in somebody's house. That learning pod could be in a licensed child care facility or that learning pod could be taking place currently in somebody's house and nobody's really thought about the legal ramifications. Or it could be taking place in a business that's after school program was exempt from licensure because all they did was, so in Texas, if you're an after school program and all you teach is the sport that, you know, so like a a gymnastics studio, right? So the gymnastics studio can provide after school care because all they're doing is providing care after school and teaching gymnastics. They're not doing homework. They're not also teaching ninja skills. They're just teaching gymnastics. So in Texas, that's how an after school program can be unlicensed is they're just doing one thing. Right. They're exempt. So that, but if they are now doing a learning pod, according to the law, they're no longer exempt. Okay. So let's define that law real quick, because I think that would be helpful to folks. So the way the Department of Health and Human Services works in the state of Texas is if you have more than six minor children, meaning under the age of 18, We have to define that also. (laughs) Yes. Whether they are your children or a neighbor's children. So six total. You are meeting for more than two days a week or you are meeting for longer than four hours in a day. So if you happen to be have six kids and you are meeting two days a week for three hours, there is no problem. If you have six kids, you're meeting one day a week for eight hours. There's a problem. If you are meeting five days a week for six to seven hours a day because you are providing full-time care while the parents are uh, working, uh, you have a problem. Unless, and this is a problem. Unless you're well, licensed. Because if you're licensed, you're licensed for yes. school-age care, then you're still golden. As long as you're within your minimum ratios. ratios. As long as yeah. you're within your ratios. So, um and that changes depending on the age of your kids. So if you have kids, say, 4 to 12, that's going to be a little different than if you have kids that are all 9, 10, and up. So um, we really do encourage you to look out because this is not us trying to tattle. This is not us trying to get anybody in trouble. This is wanting to make sure that everybody's safe. We do not want the listeners of this call to end up on the front page of a newspaper because they found out that some spouse or some adult living in a household did something inappropriate during a learning pod with a child. Um, the, the, the families who have gone through the, the rigorous training and licensing to be registered and licensed family homes have had their background checks 
works for every adult in the space. They have CPR, they have first aid, and they are set up as a business. So they have the insurance, they have the tax um, on their on their income figured out. I mean, there's a part of me that's really concerned about these teachers who are now tutoring uh, full-time in their house or tutoring full-time in somebody else's house because somebody has hired, a pod has hired them. And all of a sudden- Oh my goodness. They... I just, we have a friend who's doing that. Yes. We and should so, call her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so what happens all of a sudden tax time rolls around and as a parent, you've been paying, right? You've paid a fair amount of money. You want to take that tax deduction. Most of us do. Well, if the tutor or the teacher who has been hired and is now working full time with a group of kids has not been putting away their their tax money. Their self-employment uh, tax. Their self-employment tax, and all of a sudden they get audited, or uh, and they get audited because five families just claimed them as their um, uh, care provider, and they want to take that tax deduction. So again, we're not saying don't do it. We're saying you know figure out what you need to do to make sure that you are legal. Um, again, and uh, it only takes one parent to make that phone call. So if a parent or a neighbor makes a phone call, they have to come out and do an inspection, and that could really throw every family who's been depending on you for a loop. And I think it really affects the centers because you may have staff who you had to lay off, who you can't, couldn't bring back, who this is how they are paying for their life. And so these are people that you care about, right? These are your former employees who you hope to at some point be able to bring back onto your center. It also may affect the families that have medical issues and so they don't feel comfortable coming back to licensed care so they want a small pod of four or five kids <laughs> but if they're doing those small pod of four or five kids every day and it's not licensed or registered then they're breaking the law and right. that's a concern and if you didn't tell i mean it's a it's a fine line here I think because if you don't tell them and you know that they're putting their child in potential danger and they're breaking the law are you doing the right thing by not telling them or if you tell them are they going to get mad at you and think you're just trying to drum up business and then this spins back on you as a oh well she's just a money grubbing so-and-so well, and I think there's also a component of this that I really want. I'm going to be really honest <laughs> and Carrie and I may have a different opinion on this. You know, I think there's one thing about the emergency setting that we're in and the families that have done this out of desperation. I think there's a totally different thing, um, especially as schools find safe ways to open up. So if we start looking at spring and something has happened that has caused all the schools to be able to open up safely, but yet we still have people in this learning pod scenario, you have to ask yourself if this is still an emergency setting. Um, again, I'm not trying to scare people who've been doing this for a couple of months that they thought it was really just temporary, but if it turns from temporary to permanent, definitely if school year 2021-2022, you decide that this is the business and the way you want to function for yourself, uh, your kids are excelling in this, uh, really make sure that at that point in time, because that's no longer an emergency, that's no longer designed to be temporary. You've now done it for a year. 
And, and so and if it's if you've added a small elementary school to your licensed center <laughs> originally just because it was needed in August or September and then it just keeps rolling and you're like this is a great revenue source please make sure <laughs> with your licensing agency if there is something you need to do differently if it is an elementary school not just school age care because in some states there will be what do you mean by that how would you define the difference carrie well <clears throat> school age care is care for a brief period of time like summer camp right but <clears throat> there are states maryland is the one that pops into my head where you have to have your curriculum submitted to the state in order for that to be considered a school. Texas has very different rules. In Texas, it's pretty much, as long as you're covering math, reading, writing, and good citizenship, and you're, you're doing that for 120 days a year, they're like, you're good. <laughs> so in Texas, I don't think there is another step, but maybe there is and I don't know it, um, which is why I'm saying talk to your licensing rep. But in Maryland, if you are running a small private school inside a childcare center, that private school's curriculum has to be approved by the state or at least submitted to the state. So those are okay. very different situations. Right. And so the other thing to think about, um, so again, so parents who might have gotten this, because I will tell you that there's a good chance that Carrie and I will share this on maybe not every homeschool group that we're a part of, but maybe the largest one in the central Texas area, is we really want to make sure that the parents who might be listening are truly thinking about the fact that there are people who are licensed and registered family homes, which means the state knows they're caring for children. And they have had training. And they've had and they, background checks, thorough, thorough they, background checks. Yes. And, and again, I, I, I know that there are families out there that are creating their pods. And some of them are, you know, two or three families, but they're large families. And so my concern is that we have kind of, they, they've perceived there's the perception that it's okay to do what they're doing. Because I think some of them feel like this is what the school districts expected them to do. And I want to make sure that those of you who are facilitating a pod, and that means that basically the pod is being hosted at your house, you may not be the teacher. But if you are the pod host, that all the adults in your space are getting background check, uh, that every teacher or anybody who is teaching these groups of kids. Now, Carrie, would you call it really teaching if all of the kids are on their computer and they're all uh, doing their own online learning? What would be your interpretation of that? Okay, well, that's virtual learning. That's not homeschooling. But so how does that affect me, the pods? Um, I mean, from a state law perspective, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't. That's um, just basically the curriculum they're using. If they have somebody helping them, then they are in a situation where the person needs to be registered or licensed. Yeah, even there, if that person is only no, providing food. And and there's no gray area for this in the state of Texas. And considering Texas is one of the least regulated states, I think there's probably, it doesn't matter what state you're in, <laughs> um, there is a, a need for some oversight because 
part of the training that somebody gets when they're going to start a registered family home or a licensed program is how to supervise children of various ages. And is it okay, like at your house, it may be okay for you to let three kids play in the backyard by themselves while you're inside doing the dishes. Not if you're being paid to supervise. You have a different legal responsibility because if they're just friends coming over to play in your backyard, then you have a different legal supervision requirement than if you are being paid for the children to come over and play in your backyard. If you have been paid, then your requirements are gonna be higher. And if a child gets hurt in your backyard because you're inside washing the dishes and that parent sues you because maybe the child broke their clavicle and that means it's a $7,000 expense and they don't have $7,000 because it's COVID times and who has $7,000? And so they sue you because they feel like your homeowner's insurance will cover you. Your homeowner's insurance is not going to cover that $7,000 if you're not licensed and registered because you were being paid. And this is just a matter of the law. I'm not saying don't let people come over and play in your backyard. But if you're being paid to let people come over and play in your backyard, you have to be there to supervise them. Well, and that even, I mean, I'm going to touch real bait real quick on that one is, you know, if for some reason all of the kids that are in your learning pod are also all part of another group. So it could be your faith-based Sunday youth group. It could be your Girl Scout troop. It could be your Boy Scout troop. It could be your 4-H club. Be really, really even extra, extra, extra colorful if you start to talk about anything related to that during those time periods because then you also have whatever requirements that organization may have on you. So if you have a swimming pool and you have now allowed the kids to go, I mean, it's Texas, it's October, but it's still hot. Um, If you've allowed the kids to go swimming in your backyard and all of them are part of your 4-H club, have you met the requirements for safety related to not only something like ratios, in other words, the number of kids to the number of adults, but have you do you provided... have a, a licensed lifeguard yeah do you have do you have the safety measures in place to allow for swimming so again uh, just we are not trying to tell people to stop their learning pod please don't get that impression we also understand that these learning pods are definitely filling a need for certain families we just don't want um, the registered family homes who have been part of our program since 2002 so Carrie and I've been doing this for 18 years Carrie herself was a registered family home I was a registered family home Uh, we do not want the professionals who run registered or licensed family homes to uh, get themselves in trouble Um, we don't want the after school programs who we've consulted with over the years to find themselves uh, where they had been exempt where they're no longer exempt and uh, we knew it but we didn't tell them or we told them and they didn't do anything about it. We also don't want those parents who we know who've asked for help in this time where they're so frantic because everybody's home virtually. We want to make sure that everybody understands what they should be doing. And I, I'm going to just throw this out there. Also, we don't want 
kids to have negative outcomes that get people riled up and it changes the um, legal oversight of homeschooling in the state of Texas. I loved homeschooling in Texas instead of um, Maryland because I could teach my children based on how they were learning at that time. I didn't have to be held to account to a curriculum that I set up at the beginning of the year. I could go with the flow of their desires and their educational interests. Texas is a wonderful place to homeschool. And if there are some negative outcomes that happen to children during this pod thing, it could ruin homeschooling forever in Texas. It, it really could. That's what happened in California. That's what happened in yeah. California. But I don't think it's just homeschooling. I think it could drastically affect everything we think of when we start thinking about these virtual education. And this is happening at a college level, a high school level, and an elementary school level. And I think there's some real ramifications that could happen if this ends up being more than something that's an emergency situation. So I know that we have, and Carrie and I could probably sit here and talk about this for another 24 minutes or so, but I do appreciate everybody listening. Um, hopefully you have gotten something out of it. Um, if you want to support Colorful Clipboard, you can always just buy us a cup of coffee and that is at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash colorful. And if you want to sign up for our monthly or yearly membership, you get some exclusive resources and mini episodes. And um, we are so excited to be able to provide uh, this resource for you. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time on the Colorful Clipboards. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director where we continue to have seminars, licensing, programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.